25 seconds left to play. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. I want winners. This crowd is alive. Play to win the game. Wyatt from the shotgun, two backs alongside. Knock him out, John. Wyatt gets the ball. It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. Speak to the Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. Here we go. Hour number two of the show is officially underway. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau. Local agents, competitive rates, fast and friendly service. Deal with somebody one-on-one. You get a cell phone number. That's who you deal with. That person, your agent, the hometown hero. Something happens late at night, call them. They'll be there. It's the way it should be. It's the way it is with Farm Bureau Insurance. Uh, the Farm Bureau Studio, as I've told you before, we picked it up, packed it up, moved it on down here this week anyway to the Alabama Gulf Coast. I mean, right outside my window, I can see the ocean, Gulf of Mexico, white, sandy beaches, put my toes in the sand every day. It happened yesterday, sunburn that is, got a little sunburn. <laughs> I've avoided it pretty well, but I'll try to do better today. <clears throat> it's part of life down here down here the salt life y'all have one of those salt life stickers on your vehicle i don't for whatever reason i've never put one on there um i guess it's because i come here once a year (laughs) for a week when i mean it wouldn't be right would it if i come here on vacation once a year i don't really even like the sand that much i just like kind of come down here and i don't know see stuff palm trees eat some seafood, sleep a lot. It wouldn't be right for me to come down here once a year, do all that, and then put a Salt Life sticker on my car, would it? No. It's like I got one Yeti cup here. It's a tumbler. It's got my coffee in it. Here, I'll prove it to you. I took a sip of coffee. See? I got one Yeti cup. But, I mean, that didn't qualify me, does it, to put the Yeti sticker on my car. I don't know. These are just things I ponder while on vacation. Uh, <laughs> I'm staying connected to you around the clock because of C Spire, the number one network in Mississippi, where you can get your phone repaired. You drop it, you break it, you crack it. You take it on in there. You got some kind of other problem. The button doesn't work, or you I don't know. You it won't. The battery's dying on it. I don't know. It could be anything. Take it into C Spire. They'll fix it for you. Most times they can fix it while you wait. Certified phone repair centers. All right. Uh, the other day, we, we have a house full of people. We kind of uh, combine on family vacations instead of, you know, just me and my wife and daughter coming and getting a small condo experience for a week. Um, we join up with the rest of our family, cousins and sisters and brothers-in-laws and, you know, all that. And we put a whole bunch of people in one big condo for a week. And so the other day, I, I just sat everybody down and went through the room. I said, hey, give me suggestions if for topics for the radio show. What do you think? If you – I asked everybody in the room. <clears throat> so we had three kids, 
ages three to seven and three other adults, my wife, her sister, my brother-in-law. So I pulled the room. What should I talk about on the radio? And the suggestions I got were anything from uh, pick your four teams that are going to make the playoff. Uh, That was one suggestion. Another suggestion was uh, talk about tailgate food and tailgate recipes and routines that other people could learn from, maybe take something from. Uh, I got one suggestion to talk about the beach and the fact that unicorns are real. Um, And and oddly enough, the youngest person in the room, three-year-old Trace, wanted me to talk about the song Old Town Road. You know, take my horse to the old town road. Yeah. So that was the poll. I thought that was really interesting. That was my daughter, in fact, my seven-year-old, who said, she said, you should talk about the beach and the fact that uh, unicorns are real. <laughs> so I can tell we need to do some, we got some things to work on. We got we to gotta talk about this unicorn thing <laughs> uh, coming up. Right now, though, I'm going to flip it over to another sort of de facto poll. Uh, it's just really a question that I threw out there, and instead of throwing it out in the room, I threw this one out on Twitter last night, and uh, you you might have seen it. You might have even commented on it. So far, you know, you got a couple of hundred responses on there. So people really, um, I think, had a good time trying to think of the answer to this. All it said was, on my tweet, went out last night at about 9.30, an athlete from previous eras that you are 100% confident would be just as dominant and relevant now. Talking about right now, 2019. Think about that. And again, I think this is an offshoot of something that came up on this radio show previously, previous shows. Seems like that came up. But an athlete from previous eras that you are 100% confident would be just as dominant now as they were then. So obviously we're going back a little ways. You know, it probably... In this particular conversation, I wouldn't say Cam Newton because, I mean, he is now. I know it was 2010 when he was in college, but he's still in the NFL, so it's still, he still is now. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we're talking about previous eras. I got it started by throwing out Bo Jackson. And here's the thing. Bo Jackson and Herschel Walker were both running backs in the SEC at about the same time. And... So there's the long been this debate, and they were both so good and so dominant that really what's interesting about that is the, the either-or conversation never really took off among SEC circles almost out of respect for both guys. They were just so good individually, both of them, Bo and Herschel, that you didn't hear a lot in the late 80s and in the 90s hey, who would you rather have, Bo or Herschel? Because everybody just recognized right off the bat, there is not an answer to that. Now, I don't know why I always gravitate to Bo Jackson. Probably it's because, you know, maybe growing up in the state of Alabama as a small kid when he was playing, seeing and hearing it. But, but again, part of it, too, is just watching the, um, the old tapes and the old video of some of the stuff that he did at Auburn. He was a little different from Herschel Walker. You know, I may be wrong about this, but I always envisioned Herschel Walker as as 
maybe less of an outright sprinter, a little more of just an outright bruiser, just a little more of an Earl Campbell type of thing. Bo Jackson was, you almost couldn't classify him as a bruiser because he moved so fast. (laughs) He was so big and so thick that, you know, people just bounced off of him. You know, he, he sliced through tacklers. He didn't just run over them and bludgeon them. He just cut them to pieces <laughs> if they got a hand on him, if they got in his way. But he was so fast that they couldn't really get in his way. You go back and you watch some old video of Bo Jackson. Look it up on YouTube. And, and it jumps out at me that, man, that guy right there would be just as dominant right now. Like, we went on and on and on about Leonard Fournette the years that he was at LSU. And so far he's been unable to stay on the field and really be healthy in the NFL for Jacksonville. But I'm telling you, um, in his heyday in college, Leonard Fournette is is not even really, to me, in the same ballpark as Bo Jackson in his heyday in college. And you could lift Bo Jackson out of the 80s, plant him at Auburn in 2019, and he'd be the Heisman favorite. I just really believe that. So who are some of the others? Here are some of the comments and some really good stuff, and a few that I didn't even um, a few that I didn't even think about. Charlie, my friend Charlie Winfield, sent me a gif of Deion Sanders. Is Deion Sanders a player that as dominant as he was in his era, and don't forget, Deion Sanders played for the Atlanta Braves in Major League Baseball and the New York Yankees in Major League Baseball. I think at this point, time is getting to us, and Charlie is right. We are forgetting a little bit of just how incredible, almost like superhuman-ish, Deion Sanders was. We're forgetting some uh, it, it to a degree. He would we, – we talked about takeover players earlier. He would take over games as a kick returner. He really would. Like any time Florida State or the Cowboys needed a big kick return, they put him back there. He'd just do it. Um, yeah, I think, I think Deion Sanders was a guy who was so dominant, playing corner, kick returner, athlete. He wasn't dominant in baseball, but good enough to just go out there and do it at the major league level. And he had this otherworldly speed, a lot like Bo Jackson. So maybe that's what we're getting to here is that the one thing we do know is that speed is not limited to one era. Speed is not exclusive to one era. If you can run a 4-2-4-3, Bo Jackson supposedly ran a 4-2. Deion Sanders definitely ran a 4-3 without him really having to try. That kind of speed translates any across any genre, any generation in sports. You can lift up 4-2 speed out of the 80s and put it down in 2019, and it's still 4-2, period. Uh, TJ said Marcus Dupree would have been just as dominant now as he was then. And I think you're probably right because he was so big. That's another thing, too. Speed and all that athletic ability compared with the body that um, you just didn't see too much. Brian suggested Randall Cunningham. We forget how flashy 
and how like um, extraordinary his athletic ability was for a guy that tall. Randall Cunningham. He said Randall Cunningham. The thing is, you know, I, I don't know that Randall Cunningham was ever dominant in his era. I knew that uh, I would get this answer. My friend John Pitts, um, Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal sports editor, uh, says Jim Brown. Jim Brown, you know, when did he play in the 50s? And you just hear that. Every time these kinds of conversations come up, you continue to hear people say who watch him play and familiar with him that, hey, look, man, Jim Brown, way, way ahead of his time. People in his era just simply had no chance. Now, here's an interesting one. It's a departure from the previous conversations we've had. So far, we've talked about guys who were, you know, their their physical ability was kind of a God-given uh, abnormality. Is that a word? <laughs> it was abnormal. Bo Jackson. Otherworldly speed to go the, along with being otherworldly strong and built like a bowling ball. Uh, Deion Sanders. Out of this world speed. Just faster and quicker and better than everybody else. Jim Brown, bigger and faster than everybody else. Uh, J.M. Mangott says Jerry Rice. What do you think about that? What do you think about Jerry Rice? Would Jerry Rice be as good and dominant now as he was during his era of football? I think he would. And I think what's 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 interesting about talking about Jerry Rice is he didn't run four two, he never did. He was not six five, two hundred and twenty pounds, like Julio Jones. He was moderately sized, right? What was he six one six two? Two hundred pounds. He ran what a four five four six and had to work on that speed to get to that point. But there was something different about Jerry Rice, and it's hard to really put your finger on it, but it was mental. Mentally, he was stronger and tougher and smarter all at the same time than everybody else. And see, to me, that mental ability to stay ahead of everybody else is something else that it transcends an era. Like it didn't just play – in the 80s, it'd play right now also. You could outthink everybody on the fly. And an uncanny ability to catch the football. There were no drops. <laughs> you know? He didn't suffer with that. If it's there, he catches it every time. So, I actually agree. I think Jerry Rice, you know, you look at the numbers that he put up in, in today's NFL, he'd put up bigger numbers. I really believe that. Ball's in the air more. No question. Um, Michael Jordan, I think, is an obvious answer. Yes. Who was it? Uh, Somebody in an interview. Uh, I think it was Scottie Pippen. You know, obviously, he's biased. Michael Jordan's former teammate. But I think it was – no, 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 it wasn't Scottie Pippen. It was uh, Dennis Rodman. So, you know, take that for what it's worth. But Dennis Rodman said that Michael Jordan in today's NBA would average about 50 points a game. I'll tell you this, they don't let them play like they used to. When Michael Jordan played in the NFL, NBA, <clears throat> they beat each other up, and the referees allowed it. You go back and watch some of those Bulls-Pistons games, it was as physical as a, as a football game. 
They don't do that anymore. Uh, Brandon, my friend Brandon Walker, suggested um, Dan Marino. He thinks Dan Marino would be just as dominant in today's NFL as he was uh, back when he played in the 80s. I don't know about that. Um, But I do know that there is no question in my mind that in his heyday, Dan Marino could stand in today's pocket in the NFL and just throw it all over the field. And we do. You're right. Again, time, I think, is getting to us on Dan Marino, or guys like Dan Marino, that we we haven't seen it in so long, and we kind of forget what it was like watching him throw the ball. He could not move. He Late in his career, he's playing back there, feet in concrete, had two big knee braces on, couldn't move around. <clears throat> but, yeah, we forget just how accurate, how good, how quick the release was, how much velocity he could get on the ball, even late in his career. Uh, every touch throw he needed to make, he'd do it with ease. Um, and, and, you know, they had bad teams around him, but they were successful because of him. There's no question that Dan Marino would complete a ton of passes. He'd be putting up the kind of yards passing of football now that he did then, if not more. Um, I really believe that. Um, a lot of great suggestions. From a baseball perspective, uh, Nolan Ryan. So let me ask you that. Would Nolan Ryan be as effective and as dominant now in Major League Baseball as he was when he played? See, baseball is a tough one because there's been – well, I mean, let's let's be honest. There's been a lot of um, – advancements in baseball. You know, I, I don't know that I would say, honestly, I, I really don't know that I would look at it and say, you know, uh, hitters are better now than they were uh, 25, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And you forget that, you know, Nolan Ryan played across so many generations <laughs> Not just decades, but like generations, it felt like. We forget that he and Tom Seaver were pitching for the Mets <laughs> um, <clears throat> back in the 60s. So, and then 70s, 80s. And, of course, he's in there with uh, the Astros in the 80s and then uh, the Rangers in the 90s and was just and throwing 100 miles an hour all the way through all of that. Uh, we we, we kind of forget that. But I think um, Nolan Ryan is one that if you were going to go back and, and get a pitcher – from way back, uh, it, it's easy to have a conversation about him. Somebody mentioned uh, Sandy Koufax in this conversation. Again, we're talking about athletes from previous eras that you're 100% confident would be just as dominant now as they were then. Right off the top of my head, you know, I said Bo Jackson. But if you were looking at baseball and and going way back, somebody mentioned Sandy Koufax. And, you know, I don't know. That's hard. Baseball is a sport that, it's for me, it's much harder to say that I could go back and get a pitcher, you know, from the 40s, 50s and be assured, 100% confident, as the question says, assured that he's as good or dominant now as he was then. But because it was it, – look, that sport has really changed a lot over the years, and, and we know that. A lot more to get to, and then the suggestions keep on coming in. We're going to continue to get to some of that, maybe uh, kick it around a little bit 
uh, more going forward on the show. Also, uh, there is news. I mentioned this at the beginning of the show. You may have joined in since then, as that seems like it was a long time ago. But we got an email uh, yesterday from the league. They announced, uh, the SEC that is, the Southeastern Conference, announced who the attendees are for SEC Media Days next week. Three players from every school going to put on a coat and tie and go sit up in front of cameras, answer questions, and do the media car wash next week in Hoover. We know who they are. So I'll tell you who those are if you just tuned in and you don't know. I'll tell you who those are before we're done here today. Um, Because it's a neat thing, and we have um, an underclassman from one of the Mississippi schools going who is the only underclassman in the whole shooting match. That'll be there next week. The only one. Everybody going next week is juniors or seniors, except for one guy who's an underclassman, and he happens to be from Mississippi School. We'll tell you who that is and kind of walk through all of that too. But get them in. You can tweet me, at Radio Wyatt, an athlete from a previous era that you are 100% confident would be just as dominant and relevant now as they were then. Mine's Bo Jackson, and I took the easy route because that's just – Frankly, it's just not debatable. And everybody pretty much knows that as well. (laughs) All right. Rolling along with you here. Hour number two, off and running. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. on the show, I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau. I'm at the beach, staying connected to you because of C Spire, the number one network in Mississippi. Thank goodness for that. Hey, uh, turn your speakers up in your car, roll the windows down, see if you get any looks. JSU Sonic Boom. They bring it all the time, every time. Okay, so players from a previous era that would be just as dominant now in 2019 in their sport as they were then. I mean, the list goes on and on and on and on, but it's fun. And there's what I like about doing this is, I mean, y'all are smart. Y'all think of things that I wouldn't think of, names that I wouldn't get to. You know, we all have things that pop up in our head immediately. And I always like seeing your responses. So, here is an interesting debate. In Hanson, Han, uh, Hasso underscore 79 on Twitter says, Hank Aaron, number 44, the hammer, the real home run king, Hank Aaron. He was... Uh, Born and raised just from right up the road where I am right now. 
Um, he was up there in Mobile. Jumped on a train when he was a kid to go play baseball. And about 30 years later, he was the best there's ever been in terms of hitting the long ball. Hank Aaron. Would Hank Aaron be just as dominant, just as good now as he was then? The bats they used back then were heavier. Um, but I, but the pitching now is better. It is. I mean, it just is. I think certainly his numbers are very different. Would he hit as many home runs? It's hard for me to imagine that he wouldn't. You know, hitters adjust to what they're seeing, and the great ones adjust regardless of who the pitcher is. And, you know, if if Bryce Harper can hit 30 home runs or 40 home runs, could Hank Aaron? Uh, yeah, in today's game. But it's an interesting thought because you're, you're taking 1970s Hank Aaron and we're going to pick him up and place him in the batter's box right now against Clayton Kershaw and Justin Verlander, you know, and those guys. <clears throat> Max Scherzer, what does Hank Aaron do in his heyday in the batter's box against those guys? You know what I think he does? I think he hits the baseball. I think he guesses right more often than not and hits it out of the park with a lighter bat, better bat than what he got to use. (laughs) That's what I really think. So, Hasso 79, I like it. And and just for the record, let me say, my friend Charlie Winfield, if you want to send me – on Twitter, that gif of Deion Sanders doing that little shuffle in the end zone, the little high step and shuffle in the end zone he would do when he scored, you can send it to me as often as you would like, okay, for the record. And it doesn't even have to be a reason. Just send it. <laughs> uh, JK on Twitter, he says, in Major League Baseball, Ted Williams would be just as dominant now as he was then. In the NFL, Jerry Rice. In the NBA, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. An interesting conversation that I don't really – I'm not getting into it right now with you uh, in depth. But the the kind of the elimination of the big man, the center, the post-up big man. Let's talk about three of those in the NBA. In their era versus now, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, 70s, 80s, with the Lakers. Wilt Chamberlain. What was he, 60s, 70s? And Shaquille O'Neal. Those three guys in today's NBA right now. I have a feeling Shaquille O'Neal is as dominant now as he was when he played. But it wasn't that long ago. Wilt Chamberlain? Seems like he probably would be. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar could do whatever he wanted to do. There is nobody in today's NBA that would be able to defend the post-up baby hook shot of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that he made famous, you cannot defend it. It's impossible to defend it. He's just going to make it. (laughs) The thing is, we don't see that kind of style of play anymore in the NBA. We just don't see it. There's no post-it-up, feed-it-to-the-block, spin move, little baby hook, make the shot, go back to the other end. (laughs) I mean, you know, we'll see it. So that's an interesting conversation maybe for another day for other people, uh, for that matter. Uh, We had a Johnny Unitas suggestion. You think Johnny Unitas is as dominant now as he was then? He seemed to have a little bit of it 
uh, certainly uh, it going for him. You know, another suggestion that popped up uh, a couple times was Joe Montana, quarterback, San Francisco 49ers. I grew up in an era where I was able to watch, as a kid, watch Joe Montana play. And, yeah, look, his accuracy was just on a little bit of a different level. It just was. He was so smooth and just cool and calm and unflappable. Never get riled up. Never get rattled. I mean, sure, he had, you know, passes every now and then that would get picked off. And it looked like he just, you know, maybe a mistake happened. He'd just go to the sideline. He could have sat down taking a nap because he knew he was going to go back out and make the next three. He was just so accurate. His His pinpoint accuracy – to the point that he didn't just complete passes. A lot of guy, the guys complete passes. They were so accurate that everything seemed to have extra yards on the end of the completion because the timing was so perfect and the accuracy was so perfect. Um, I think with – I don't doubt one bit. I would actually argue that, that that is correct, that Joe Montana would be just as good in today's game as he was in his era. I don't, and he's built like an NFL quarterback now. You know, 6'3", 220, um, plenty good athlete, just smooth and outsmarted everybody. What about Greg Maddox, Mad Dog? Is he as dominant now pitching as he was in his era? No question about it because it wasn't about overpowering people. It was about outthinking people, and, and the ball moved more than anybody else has ever been on the mound, it seemed like. <clears throat> so... um. I think Greg Maddox is in there as well. And in the sport of golf, Jack Nicholas. yes, I'm as 100% con- – and, and golf's different, isn't it? Because it's not about the competition. It's about the golf courses. And you go, yeah, it's a different era, different ball, everything. Sure it was. So go back in his heyday and give – in his heyday, Jack Nicholas, who was dominant, give, his, give him today's drivers, today's golf ball. competition tougher sure yeah I still think he's just as good now as he was in his era you know what I mean like if you in the context of this you pick him up and place him in today's era surprisingly few answers of the hundreds of comments on this Twitter question surprisingly few people saying uh Herschel Walker Several have said Gail Sayers. We got an Allen Iverson uh, in there, a Frank Thomas. Lots of Pistol Pete Maravich. I've had a lot of people comment on that and say that Pistol Pete Maravich, now you could you know bring him back, let him play now as opposed to in his era, and that he would absolutely be just as dominant now as he was then. Because, you know, back then he'd score all those points and just dominate every game he played in. Without a three-point line. He's making three-point shots long before they put the three-point line in. They only counted as two. It's true. Really appreciate all the responses. It's fun to do. Fun to do. All right, a little bit of the news from yesterday that I promised you. That's coming up next here on the show in the Farm Bureau studio. Stick around.
back on the show. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Here's the Auburn Tiger Band with Tiger Rag. Without question, the most underrated band in the SEC and the best version of Tiger Rag, no question, is at Auburn. Big finish. All right, speaking of Auburn, they are going to send three senior football players to represent them at SEC Media Days next week. Two of them are on defense. Defensive tackle Derek Brown. Big guy, really good, high draft pick. Defensive end Marlon Davidson, same. Ditto. And offensive lineman Prince Tega Wanogo on the all-name team. Those are your three representatives at Auburn. We got that list in an email yesterday of the three players from each SEC team that will be attending SEC Media Days. Now, I mentioned this at the top of the show, but that was a while back, and a bunch of you have joined in since then. So let me give you the list if you haven't seen or heard. Here are the players who you will see and hear and hear from as we, he, uh, me, the Matt Wyatt Show, here I am, got my hand up, broadcast to you live from Radio Row at the uh, SEC Media Days gathering in Hoover next week, this time next week, at the Hyatt Regency Winfrey Hotel, whatever the heck the name of the thing is now. All right, Alabama, they're going to send three junior football players, Jerry Judy, wide receiver, Dylan Moses, linebacker, and Tua Tongavaloa, quarterback, junior. Every time I see the name Dylan Moses, I think about that uh, Tony Joe White song from back in the 60s, 70s. What was it? Amos? No, no, it wasn't Tony Joe White. It was um, Jerry Reed had a song called Amos Moses. Look that one up. Arkansas, they are going to send three seniors. The Razorbacks will send Devwa Whaley running back, linebacker Dijon Harris, and defensive lineman McTelvin Ajim. Told you about Auburn. Florida is going to send a quarterback. They're going to send Felipe Franks, quarterback, junior, to represent the Gators. Also, senior running back LaMichael Pirine and senior defensive lineman Jabari Zuniga uh, for the Gators. Georgia going to send their QB, Jake Fromm, who is a junior. They'll also have representing UGA, senior defensive back J.R. Reed, and junior lineman Andrew Thomas. Thomas is a big-time prospect. Kentucky's going to send Lynn Bowden, the athlete, uh, receiver, kick returner, do everything for them. He's a junior. And then Kentucky's sending a couple of seniors also, linebacker Cash Daniel and offensive lineman Logan Stenberg for the LSU Fighting Tigers. Hey, you know what we ought to do here? Why not? I ought to give you a little uh, fight song for each of these teams, right, as we talk about Because i got most of the fight songs. Let's do it right now. For the LSU Fighting Tigers, they are going to send They're going to send Joe Burrow, the quarterback. That's good. Look forward to talking to him. Grant Delpit, junior defensive back, and the junior offensive lineman Lloyd Cushenberry. I think he's their starting center. So that's LSU. There you go. Um, let's see. Who's next? Ole Miss? 
little forward rebels for you. Ole Miss is going to send Matt Corral, quarterback. They listed him on the official SEC email as a freshman. But I thought he played last year enough to where this would be his sophomore year. I don't know. They list him as a freshman. I just know this. Matt Corral at Ole Miss is the only underclassman attending SEC Media Days next week. He's the only one. Every other school, every other school is sending only seniors and juniors. Matt Corral, whether he's a freshman or a sophomore or whatever the heck he is, he's the only underclassman going to SEC Media Days next week, period, end of story. Ole Miss is also going to send senior offensive lineman Alex Givens and junior linebacker Momo Sonogo, who is their leading tackler returning uh, this year. <clears throat> Next up, Mississippi State. I have Hale State on here somewhere. Here we go. Mississippi State sending tight end Farad Green, senior. Junior linebacker Errol Thompson and senior center Daryl Williams. That's your three attendees, Mississippi State, along with Joe Moorhead next week. Um, I got Missouri on here somewhere, but I'm not going to look it up. Missouri is going to send quarterback Kelly Bryant. He'll be a senior, and he's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, media are really going to look forward to kind of getting a shot at him because he's an interesting story. Transferring in from Clemson, going to have one year here after transferring to Missouri. They're expected to have a good team. So Kelly Bryant is going as a QB. He's a senior. Missouri is also sending two other seniors, linebacker Cale Garrett and cornerback Demarcus Acey. South Carolina. Took a little while, didn't it? South Carolina is going to send quarterback Jake Bentley. He'll be a senior. Two other seniors, linebacker T.J. Brunson and senior wideout Brian Edwards. So that's a little bit of a look at South Carolina. Tennessee is sending linebacker senior Daniel Bituli, junior quarterback Jarrett Garantano, and senior linebacker Daryl Taylor. Again, we're talking about players that are going to represent their schools at SEC Media Days next week. Rocky Top. There you go. All right, uh, Vanderbilt. Who's Vanderbilt sending to Media Days? Three seniors for Vanderbilt. It'll be uh, wide receiver Kalijah Lipscomb, tight end Jared Pinckney, and running back Keyshawn Vaughn. All three seniors for Vanderbilt. Dynamite. It's actually a very underrated fight song for Vanderbilt. Dynamite. Oh, and I left one out. Texas A&M. A&M is sending their quarterback, Kellen Mond. Mond's only going to be a junior. Uh, another junior, defensive lineman, Justin Matabike. And then their senior punter, Braden Mann, is going to media days for A&M. So, uh, that's your overall list. A couple of high points. 
the quarterbacks, the QBs attending media days next week, who you'll see and hear from on this show and others, will be Tua Tagovailoa, QB Alabama, uh, Felipe Franks, Florida, Jake Fromm of Georgia, Joe Burrow, LSU, Matt Corral, Ole Miss, Kelly Bryant of Missouri, Jake Bentley, South Carolina, Jarrett Garantano, Tennessee, and Kellen Mond of Texas A&M. Other high points, Matt Corral, Ole Miss is the only underclassman in the whole lot, the only one out of um, you got 14 teams. You got <laughs> 14 teams, you got three players. You have 42 players going. Out of the 42, he's the only underclassman. All the rest of them are juniors and seniors. And then how about A&M sending their punter? I guess, you know, if you're the best punter in the country, maybe you get to go to media days. <laughs> so there you go. A bunch of linemen. Every year there are notable players who are left off. This year I don't necessarily see that. You know, I remember a few years ago I kind of complained that uh, Ole Miss didn't send Laquan Treadwell. As far as I know, Treadwell never got to go to SEC media days. And we were disappointed in that in terms of media because we wanted him to be there. One of the better players on their team and, you know, certainly a big-time player. We didn't get to talk to him. But teams have their own system uh, for deciding who they are going to send and when and why and so on and so forth. Um, <clears throat> probably, if you were to look at, you know, I think players who are probably the best players on this list but maybe just slightly underrated, underappreciated, Jerry Judy, the wide receiver at Alabama, is big-time. In, in my estimation, I watch him on film. He is like he's Calvin Ridley 2.0. He's the real deal. But he's kind of, you know, lost in that sea of five stars at Alabama and Tonga Valoa and the QB is getting all the attention and that kind of thing. But Jerry Judy is, you know, he may be the best player in the whole list of all these guys. Um, I think Felipe Franks is going to make a jump, be really good this year. Joe Burrow, uh, you know, was quietly, I know he's, you know, got a lot of attention being a transfer, but was quietly really solid and made a lot of clutch plays last year for LSU. And I'm interested to see him. I, I think he's a smart, sharp guy. He's a leader. Maybe, the, you know, I said Jerry Judy, Grant Delpit, the defensive back at LSU, is probably, out of everybody on this entire list, he might be the highest draft pick when it's all said and done out of everybody uh, on the list. And, you know, I think if you look at this list of players from Ole Miss and State, you got Corral, Givens, and Sonogo from Ole Miss. Uh, you have Green, Thompson, and Williams from Mississippi State. There is no question in my mind that it's going to be Daryl Williams out of that bunch who will be the highest drafted. Uh, Daryl Williams is a big-time NFL prospect. He's a first-round prospect, depending on how he plays this year after his move to center. Uh, he's that good. All right, I appreciate you tuning in as a broadcast to you from the beach <laughs> in the Mobile Farm Bureau studio. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Matt. I'll see you all tomorrow. See you.